This is the Training Camp Report with Tom Offerman and Bob Labriola on Steelers Nation Radio. Labs, did you ever think you would live to see the day that 14,000 people would show up to witness a practice? To quote the great Allen Iverson, we're not talking about a game. We're not talking about the actual game here. We're talking about a practice, Labs. 14K, a record for Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it hasn't happened for three years because last year was rained out. And then the two right, previous right. years, there was no training camp in Latrobe because of the pandemic. So I don't know, maybe the, the people up here, um, you know, were just missing it, you know, jonesing for a, uh, a night practice. Because I'll tell you what, when, you know, we the buses left here about 6.30, okay? So you're winding your way through Latrobe. And two things struck me. Uh, it was unbelievable. Okay, we're as we got closer, you know, you're driving past, and the, and the streets are lined with cars, okay? And we're riding in the school buses, you know, and I'm just, like, looking out the windows. Beyond the people who are coming out of their houses and stuff, you know, waving and right. shooting video off their cell phones and, you know, screaming and what, all that stuff, okay? I was looking at the license plates on the cars. I mean, at one point on the street, I counted eight straight out-of-state license plates parked. I mean, so, you know, it's uh, we can say that, you know, Westmoreland County loves the Steelers, and that's probably very true. But I don't know that, there, you know, it was all Westmoreland County there last night either. Uh, it was, um, I mean, I this proves, to me at least, or offers definitive proof anyway, that people plan their vacations around this. Because how else are, you know, Wisconsin and Virginia and I mean there were and there were some Kansas. I mean <laughs> Let's just hope you know, they're planning is... vacations around it. I don't want them to be driving from Kansas to see a two hour practice and then t- going back home. <laughs> Let's do a little extra uh-huh. stuff while you're up here. I'll tell you, um, I don't know that, you know, uh, I wouldn't have driven from the dorm if you know I had <laughs> if I, and then the other thing that was unbelievable was when you got in close enough to see inside the stadium. It was packed. I mean, I'd never, you know, and this is, um, well, they were lined, I mean, they were lined up six deep around the, uh, the, 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 behind the fence, um, and the, the screaming, and I mean, oh my God, I, it was, seriously, I mean, God love them. I mean, uh, I, I don't I don't get it as you said you quoted the great Allen Iverson and you know maybe I'm jaded because you know I've been doing this for many many years and you know it is just another practice and all that stuff that you said but um, to a lot of people it, it's way more than that and they, they were all in Latrobe Stadium last night. Yeah, it's so special for the fans, but it's also so special for the players. Uh, Max Starks joined us on the Mark Madden Show, the show I usually produce on Friday, and we talked a bit about Friday Night Lights, and he was saying you know. I know it's not 60,000-plus that you get in NFL stadiums on a Sunday, but it's as close as a simulation you can get to a game-like atmosphere during this training camp setting. It helps you adjust to you know the moving parts that a season presents. You're not always playing on the same day at the same time. you got a Monday night game. you got a Thursday night game. Sometimes you're at a Wednesday night game because of COVID. I mean, you have to be able to adapt on the fly, and this kind of teaches you how to do that as well. So not just from the fan perspective, it's a great time for them, of course, but the players all genuinely love it. It gives them that feeling of being back in high school. Yeah, and, you know, just uh, uh, the, I keep going back to the scene because the scene to me is, 
you know, really special and unique. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a player, never have been, so I'll let Max speak to, you know, that end of it. But um, one of the things, you know, uh, so we're there and it's 8 o'clock, whatever it is, and standing there watching practice, and all of a sudden you can smell the funnel cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And I'm thinking. You're like that cartoon where the, the person smells the pie on the windowsill and you just start floating yeah. towards it. Um, and I'm looking around thinking, where, where is this? Where, where is this booth or, you know, pop up <laughs> or wherever they're making these because, oh my God, does this smell spectacular? Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of little things like that, that are out of the ordinary, unique, uh, to this event. And, um, and again, as I said, uh, wow. Now they didn't have the club seats though. I've talked about that before, you know, the chairs lined up on the other side. Um, but, uh, again, I, the, uh, <laughs> the other side of the, you know, you go to a high school game. All right. And as I've said, to describe this scene, the, the home side of the high school field is the bleachers are higher and there's a press box up there on the visitor's side. The bleachers are very low, maybe seven, eight rows high, maybe 10. I don't know. I didn't count. And you, how many high school games do you ever go to where the other side is filled? I mean, and how many high school games do you ever go to where the other side is filled maybe an hour or two before right. yeah. anything starts? <coughs> so, excuse me. Um, yeah, the, the scene to me is, is, is what always, always, always attracts a lot of my attention and never ceases to amaze me. No, and it's an opportunity for some players to, you know, make a splash under the bright lights in front of a big crowd. And I'm sure people showed up thinking, oh, I, you know, I get to see George Pickens make that amazing sideline catch over Joey Porter Jr. in person. Maybe I'll see Deontay Johnson do something crazy. Oh, some of the new guys, Darnell Washington, maybe he'll bowl somebody over. Did you have Kendrick Green on your bingo card as the guy who would emerge <laughs> as the big crowd pleaser touring Friday Night Lights last night? Because he was the star, Labs. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had heard some things, uh, you know, mid to late afternoon about what they were going to try and do and some of the things that were in the in the offing. And, um, you know, <laughs> and I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but, you know, hey, um, if I can't make fun of myself, who can? Uh, that, that was not Kendrick Green's first time doing that. Apparently that has happened <laughs> here on campus once. And... Um, I, I never noticed it. I, I just didn't. Um, and I don't, I, obviously no one else did because those practices are open and therefore, you know, any of the media attending can report anything that they see. And I don't remember seeing any of that. I don't see any, remember seeing any reports. So, you know, and I was told that they liked a little bit of what they saw the first time and they were going to go, you know, and, and do it again. And so, you know, I was watching for it. And, <laughs> Um, you know, you talk about making an impact. Um, Kendrick Green makes an impact, and he is pretty nimble um, and mobile. Uh, you know, and we were uh, um, talking about Friday Night Lights, the movie and the, yeah, right. the TV show. and all. That. Okay. Um, another great uh, movie about high school football is uh, Remember the Titans. That's one of my favorites. And the way they described... Uh, this one player on defense, uh, agile, mobile, and hostile, and that's what he—that's what I thought of. 
those three words because um, there may be some things he's not in the middle of the line of scrimmage. You know, maybe he's not big enough to handle nose tackles or, you know, whatever that is. But he is, as I said, he has some mobility. He is good on his feet. He can find people on the move. And uh, he, <laughs> he knows how to find them and make contact. And there were a couple. The, the, the one hit uh, that he had on um, the linebacker in Duque, uh, it, was a, it was a running play. And um, uh, Kendrick Green was in the backfield, and he just he didn't lead up necessarily through the hole. It wasn't like an eye formation thing, um, but it was kind of a off tackle where you know he kicked out um, the linebacker who came in free. Maybe it was a trap play. I don't know. I'm not an expert at any of that either. Um, but the hit that he wow, you could hear that. I mean, if you weren't paying attention, the noise brought your head up that's how loud it was um and uh yeah i mean i i, I don't know if that's going to be a regular part of the offense i don't even know that kendrick green's going to make the team i don't know any of that stuff right now but i'm telling you what uh if um it, well i guess they can't have film of it because you're not allowed to video um at that point part yeah, of we don't want to give belichick so. any extra advantages here <laughs> don't want anything uh, he can hack into <laughs> uh, that's an awfully cynical viewpoint, don't you think? <laughs> I'm sure you share it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, I, if if I'm on another team and I see him in there, I'm not crossing that line of scrimmage that aggressively. <laughs> I'm just not. Um, because, wow, uh, as I said, if, if, you, if you weren't paying attention, if your head was down or if you were eating your funnel cake or whatever you might have been doing, instead of watching the field, that sound pops your head right up. I mean, it was, wow, it was, it echoed. It echoed. Yeah, well, uh, Kendrick Green spoke about it following Friday night's practice, and he said, you know, it's just something that we're dabbling with, and he said, I don't think it is going to be anything too serious going forward, but we'll see. So He's not going to become, you know, the Steelers' version of Patrick Ricard for the Ravens, the 300-pound fullback in the backfield, although, Kendrick Green did play some fullback in practice to prepare the Steelers for Patrick Ricard. But, you know, the Steelers don't waste their time with stuff like this. This might not ever happen on a field during an actual game, but they're they're experimenting with it for a reason. It's not just, oh, wouldn't it be so fun if we had Kendrick Green in the backfield? Don't you think the crowd would love that? No, there's there's legitimate uh, method to the madness here. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, there, there aren't any fullbacks on the roster. You know, Monty Patbaum retired. Right. Um, Derek Watt is still an unrestricted free agent. Um, you know, Connor Hayward dabbles. I mean, he, he can play a lot of different positions. You know, he could very well play the position, but, I mean, he's not a fullback. And so um, maybe this is, you know, some kind of effort to um, manufacture one without using a roster spot for one specifically because while – you know, Kendrick Green is dabbling uh, as a fullback. He also is still the number two center. So when, you know, the second team offensive line goes out, he's the center. So there's that too. So, you know, again, we've talked a lot a bit, a lot about this where, uh, where coaches are looking for and how they might be able to, you know, save a roster spot with uh, some individual's position and versatility. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe this is part of that plan. 
Um, again, uh, as I said, I don't know that Kendrick Green's a, a lock for the 53-man roster, uh, but I'll tell you what, what he's showing right now um, is making him uh, a far more attractive candidate, I think, than he, than he was when uh, training camp opened. So, uh, you know, the more you can do, as Chuck Noll always said, and um, Kendrick Green was doing last night. And as I said, it was uh, practice can get mundane. You know, it just can. But that certainly perked me up. <laughs> and I started, you because know, uh, I was what I was looking for him. You know, because as I right. said, I kind of got a little you tip, got the tip off. This, yeah. So anytime they were in eleven on eleven, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. There he is, um, and uh, he did not disappoint. He did not disappoint. Well, this is normally the time during our training camp report that we would hear from Coach Tomlin and his thoughts following practice. Tomlin was not at Friday Night Lights last night, though. He was in Canton, Ohio for Friday night's gold jacket dinner with inductee Rondé Barber. Tomlin coached Barber while he was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive backs coach. And some Steeler fans might not know there's two Super Bowl rings clanging around Mike Tomlin's pocket. He won one with that Tampa team on that staff. And I wanted to play this soundbite for you, Labs, and then we can discuss it. It's a quick little, you know question that Rondé Barber was asked during the Hall of Fame game about the impact that Mike Tomlin has. And I just think it really illustrates how Tomlin is not only viewed here, but around the league. 2001 is his first year at Tampa. I was a free agent that year, actually, and I'd stayed. And he was, was first time defensive back coach for me after Herm left. And I led the league in interceptions. His influence on me uh, is without words. I mean, he, he transformed me into the player that is now standing here in Canton getting ready to get a gold jacket. Uh, and it, there's a lot of ways for me to describe it, but the reality is he empowered me. He told me what I could be, and he went about methodically making me that guy. And here I am. I, I love him to death. We're best friends still to this day. No one in Pittsburgh is surprised to hear words like that come from Rondé's mouth uh, referring to Coach Tomlin. But for a player going into the Hall of Fame to, to really credit Coach T with a lot of making him the player that he was today. He said first year that coach got there, he led the league in interceptions, and he helped mold him into the Hall of Famer that he is today. I mean, that's just high praise that doesn't get thrown around lightly. No, and I mean, I'm sure that it uh, also uh, included more than just X's and O's. I mean, because, you know, Mike Tallman is a, is very good at, you know, uh, that kind of motivational thing or, you know, the things that we refer to as Mike Tomlinisms. Um you know, they, they have a lot of meaning to them, uh, you know, beyond just clever little phrases. And one of my favorites is, um, he, Mike Tomlin has told players, I know what you're capable of, but what are you willing to do? It's a classic. Now, you think about that, you know, if, and if you're a player, um, you know, that's, especially in the NFL, you know, when you get to this level of uh, the sport, um, everybody's good. Everybody's good. But, uh, you know, a lot of times the difference is, you know, what's in your heart. And, um, you know, Kevin Colbert always said that in the, in the uh, talent or um, player evaluation process, the two most difficult things to evaluate in someone are hearts and smarts. And, um, you know, again, that's one of those, you know, rhymes and, oh, isn't that nice? You know, <laughs> stitch it on a <laughs> oh, pillow Dr. or Seuss, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But, I mean... You know, you think about that for a minute, and yeah, their intelligence and what they're willing to do is what makes 
you know, is the difference between Rondé Barber wearing a gold jacket and maybe, you know, uh, having a mediocre career, uh, no Super Bowl ring on his finger, and, uh, you know, he's not in Canton this this uh, weekend. So, um, you know, recognizing that in an individual and then tapping into it uh, with an individual, you know, somehow relating to him on a level where uh, that individual thinks about that and it, it resonates with him and then he acts upon it, um, you know, that's, that's what a coach is. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, Mike Tomlin is, is pretty good at his job and, um, you know, apparently he was pretty good at his job yeah. early on <laughs> right in his away, career. Right away, apparently. And, you know, you can also see a little bit, you know, from what Rondé Barber was saying, because this was, what, 2001, the Steelers hired him in 2007. So even that six-year span, I'm sure he had some time, and it actually happened where he refined, you know, a lot of his methods and techniques and those kinds of things in some of those areas. And you can see why the Roonies were impressed with him. And he kind of, I don't know, at least in my mind, uh, kind of came out of nowhere. You know, you, when that coach, when um, Bill Cower announced his decision to step away, uh, you know, the, the candidates seemed to me to be Russ Grimm and Ken Wisenhunt. I mean, there were two guys on your staff, uh, both very uh, instrumental in the success of the Steelers team in that era, uh, the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. And you think, well, you know, those would be either one of those guys would be a pretty good candidate. Um, but, you know, the Steelers went a little uh, off the board and brought in someone from the outside. And, you know, I think that to a lot of people, I'm sure it was, you know, who's this guy? Because uh, even uh, when he was in Tampa, he may have been doing great work. Obviously, he was, but he wasn't a household name, Mike Tomlin. And, you know, his one year as a coordinator in Minnesota. Uh, it wasn't like the Vikings um, had great success that season. They weren't the second coming uh, of the Purple People Eaters. They were not. Uh, so, um, you know, like I said, it, it, it could have come across as a surprise for people who are not studying the league. And, again, you know, we're going back to um, what made Dan Rooney Dan Rooney, his ability to to recognize this, you know, see around the corner so to speak, and and um, get to know this guy and bring him more into the mainstream in terms of the candidates for the job. Um, that's why he's got a gold jacket, too. Yeah, and, you know, hearing Rondé speak uh, about Tomlin that way, it, it comes as no surprise as how he's never had a Steelers team quit on him in his entire tenure here. You know, you could start two and six, start slow. They always rally. They always finish above 500 or at 500 under Coach Tomlin, and some of the things that Rondé said in that soundbite kind of translate into me understanding why that's the case. You know, you might be two and six, but Coach Tomlin comes into that um, building with a six and two attitude, and that can go a long way when you're dealing with you know professionals here. You know, it's not like college where you can just go in and light a fire and just scream at them. You have to hit the buttons in the right way, and he's a master at that. Yeah, and I, I do believe that there's, I won't say cynicism. But there is a feeling among professionals where, you know, they're not going to be BS'd. I mean, right. or not for long, anyway. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I, 
I have a lot of respect for Mike Tomlin, really, uh, professionally. And what I know of him as a man, I, I, you know, I don't want to claim the word pals because, you know, that's way overstating <laughs> it. But, you know, we, we, we converse and, you know, those kinds of things. And uh, I, you know, um, I love the guy um, professionally and uh, from what I know of him personally. So I'm a big fan, too. Coach T will be back at practice today after taking a hiatus yesterday to join Rondé Barber in Canton for the Gold Jacket Dinner. When we come back, we're going to talk about seven shots. The offense has been mired in a losing streak. Did that come to an end under the lights last night? We'll discuss that, and we'll hear from Deontay Johnson next on the Training Camp Report on Steelers Nation Radio. This is the Training Camp Report with Tom Opperman and Bob Labriola on Steelers Nation Radio. Seven shots is one of the more popular drills done during Steelers training camp, and the defense had been dominating. They had won five straight leading into Friday Night Lights practice last night, Labs. Uh, I don't know if the offense was listening to our training camp report yesterday when we said, you know, enough's enough already. You got to start winning this drill. I don't know if it was the bright lights of Latrobe Memorial Stadium and the 14,000 on hand. Whatever it was, though, they finally got off the schneid. The offense gets a 5-2 victory in seven shots. Well done, offense. Way to finally come through and get that good dinner. Well, well, I was just going to say, you know, it's funny that you, you closed with that because I did some, you know, extra uh, digging into that. And uh, uh, that, that hasn't – that that's something that I was told is going to be uh, re-implemented in this uh, next phase of training camp. But to this point, it had not been in effect. And oh, well, so, that's why the offense was losing then, right? There's no carrot out in front. <laughs> um, you know, there's no carrot. Then why was the defense winning? <laughs> no, I, I, um, but, yeah, so that is that hasn't been the thing. I mean, there's no uh, – apparently the uh, kitchen crew has not been, you know, opening cans of baked beans and making, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> – Franks and beans for the for the losers of seven shots, but yes, everything else you said was accurate. the The defense had won five in a row, uh, and the offense did put together, I think, its uh, most complete performance in that drill since the first day that um, they had it this summer. And um, you know, let me just say this too: this isn't necessarily um, strictly related to seven shots. But we've talked a lot about, you know, George Pickens, um, this training camp in terms of, you know, the receivers and what he's been able right. to do. Um, Calvin Austin had, I think, his best practice last night. Uh, he was, um, he 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 was very. His hands were very sure. Uh, he um, he weren't was running crisp routes. Uh, there were a couple of plays. Again, this is this. I'm going off a, a little bit on the subject because we're supposed to be talking about seven shots. But uh, he ran, ran very crisp routes. He, he had very sure hands. Uh, he was making plays down the field uh, in some situations that um, I'm sure the Steelers were were heartened by because you know this is a guy who you know we know about uh, Pickens. We know about Deontay Johnson. We've already seen. Um, a lot of good things from Allen Robinson, uh, you, you know, but with receivers, you know, three isn't enough. You, you, need, you need a fourth, uh, not necessarily that you're going to play four at the same time, but you got to have a fourth. 
And um, was that guy Calvin Austin? Who might that guy, if it's not him, be? You know, those kinds of questions or, or uh, issues to be resolved. Uh, I think that uh, last night uh, Calvin Austin showed, to me definitively anyway, that he is capable uh, and very possibly ready to assume the kind of role uh, that the Steelers need him to assume for this wide receiving core and by extension the offense to be the kind of unit that, you know, you need to, uh, you know, get through a regular, an NFL regular season. Okay, so back to seven shots now. Um, yeah, first play of the game, or first play of the drill, uh, it was one it was something that I would call a combination route, and that's something that they've been working on you know, offense and defense going against each other in the last couple of practices uh, up here on campus. And, you know, you run um, the routes where um, the, the receivers, I don't know, play off each other. Maybe that's the description. Uh, they're, they're not always crossing routes, but, you know, you uh, present things to the, and it's two-on-two two as well. So the defense is also working on dealing with those kinds of routes uh, from the offense, and that what what it seemed to me to be was an extension of that drill, um, because uh, Allen Robinson caught the touchdown pass. Uh, he and another receiver um, were running the route against um, Levi Wallace and Trey Norwood, and I don't know if it was a miscommunication or somebody. You know, you're not allowed to pick, so somebody got rubbed. I love I love the difference. <laughs> not a pick, you know, it's a rub. Yes. <laughs> It's a rub, uh, or whatever it was, but uh, Allen Robinson was wide open. One of the defenders, uh, I won't say uh, blew his coverage, but he wasn't where he was supposed to be. The switch didn't happen the way it should have, or maybe the offense just did it so well that it couldn't have been defended, whatever it is. Um, so uh, one one zero for the offense on the Allen Robinson pass from uh, Kenny Pickett. Second uh, play was uh, one of those George Pickens um, great catches in the back of the end zone, but uh, the official threw the flag and it was illegal touching. Okay, so by that, what what causes that is Pickens uh, apparently stepped on the line or out of bounds, then got back in bounds and was the first person to touch the ball after that. So that's illegal, so even though he made the great catch and. His feet were both in bounds when he made the catch, but he had stepped out of bounds just previously and was the first person to touch the ball uh, after he got back in bounds, and so that's illegal touching. So even though it was a touchdown, it didn't count. Um, uh, the third play, uh, Deontay Johnson was wide open. It was a crosser-type touchdown or crosser-type route um, touchdown. The next play, uh, Kenny Pickett, rolled to his left, ran the ball, and uh, I've seen still photos of it, um, and I was there to see it as well. When Pickett ran, uh, he when he got to the corner, got to the pylon, you know, remember the Heath Miller play where he put the ball, touched the pylon with the ball? That's a touchdown? Yes. That's what Kenny Pickett did. He touched the pylon with the ball, uh, touchdown. So, um, you know, so then the, the drill's – well, almost over. It was three to one. It would have been four zero. You know, as I mentioned, the illegal touching right. thing. But the point I'm trying to make here is the offense was very efficient in its first four snaps, which we really hadn't seen. I don't think at all 
a training camp in this particular drill. Um, so, but anyway, it was 3-1 at that time. Mitch Trubisky comes in, hits Gunnar Olszewski with a pass uh, where he kind of sat down in an area. But I don't mean literally sat down, but just kind of, <laughs> you know, got small and, and got himself in an open area. He got hit uh, by Trubisky and it was a touchdown. Um, then again, Mike, uh, the guy I was mentioning before, Calvin Austin, caught a pass in the back of the end zone for a touchdown uh, that made it um, – 5-1, and then uh, the the seventh play was incomplete. So the final score was 5-2, to two, but as I said, the offense was very, very uh, much better than it had been. Um, you know, even the cynic that I am was impressed. <laughs> and uh, good day for the offense. Too bad that it's not, uh, you know, winner eats good in the cafeteria yet, or who knows, maybe that'll start it. Um, but... Um, no franks and beans for the defense, I guess. Well, very encouraging signs from the offense to bounce back and get a big performance like that. And also encouraging to see Kenny be very productive in that drill and utilize a lot of his weaponry, uh, targeting three different wide receivers, all of them coming down with the ball. Like you said, George Pickens only stepping out of bounds and committing illegal touching. But Pickens, Robinson, Johnson, Calvin Austin, like you said, those guys have a lot of potential as a unit. And Deontay Johnson caught up with the media before practice yesterday. So talks a little bit about what he's excited for for Friday Night Lights. Still all relevant, but then gets into the receiving core and what he's seen so far from camp. Let's take a listen to Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson. To me, it gives me like a home game feeling just going out there and do what we do, putting on the show for the fans. And uh, it allows, it also allows the fans to see the new guys that we brought to the team and uh, just see what they can do. And um, like I say, just put on the show, really. Ooh, seeing everybody, uh, they're moving a lot faster. It seems like they're picking up the playbook really, really, really well. And um, you see it in their game, and they getting a lot of reps. They move guys moving up the depth chart a little bit, uh, so they, they feeling. I don't want to say comfortable, but uh, they they getting there. But um, like I said, you see you see them getting there, uh, and it makes you it makes you happy because you see the older guys leading them and being that that mentor that they need uh, whenever they have a question. Yeah, you guys have had a few days in pads. What do you feel like is going to be the biggest difference in the Uh Starting fast. Last year we had a problem with that, but this year is this year. And uh, you can see that practice, we we moving the ball way better than last year. Every, the chemistry is there with all the guys. Um, and we're moving as one unit, and that's what you need. Defense move as one unit, offense move as a unit. So, And we move, so we do that as one, uh, nobody can stop us. Deontay, did you figure it was about time to make a spectacular play yesterday, that one-handed catch? Oh, I was just trying to make a play. Uh, George made one the other day, so I had tried to make one back. But like I said, I'm happy for George when when he makes those catches. So, and um, all I can do is just keep being me and making plays. You guys have a little back and forth going with that kind of thing? Or? Oh no, it's just one of them feet. Whenever see us make a play, uh, it makes it gets us amped up. Dog. I got to, I got to try to do something here. But you know what I'm saying? Not trying to force it, but at the same time, you want to make a play or whatnot. But it's been good though. Have you guys been able to have a little bit more contact with the pads? What have you seen out of Joey Porter Jr. on the outside? What have you seen so far the Joey, he's long corner, uh, uh, fast, physical. Um, he's, he's picking up the playbook real well. He's, I see him, he's moving up the depth side, running with the twos. He gets in with the ones here and there. So uh, me, I'm just being a mentor to him as well. So if he have any questions with me, and I see him, what he can do better at DB, you know, from a receiver standpoint, uh, I, I kind of 
tell him what I see or whatnot, but he's been great, man. I love him. He's getting better every day. Yeah, and after practice, he's working with Pat and Ike Taylor's been here. Obviously, those guys play the position. That's a wide receiver. What can you add to his development? What kind of advice can you give him from the offensive side? Really just if I see him on his heels, uh, like for me, it's a quick speed release every time you're going to win because he's not going to be able to open up like he normally just lock his hips or whatever. But that just I see little stuff like that. I tell him, and, uh, and I, once I tell him that he does it, you, you see a difference in, you know what I'm saying, the next rep. So just little stuff like that. Deontay receiving more is different about this Oh, everybody's playing faster. You know, um, you can see it uh, on the film. Uh, we playing. Even the coach OC said we playing faster. So, and everybody knows what they're doing. Last year, a lot of we was like the timing was off a little bit, and you know, you know kind of kind of question like if who's gonna be in the right spot at the same time. You know what I'm saying? But this year is different. Everybody knows what they're doing. Gonna be in the right spot. If they change the play, everybody knows their assignment. So that's really the main focus, knowing your assignment and watching the ball, knowing the snap count, those little things, those small things people don't really talk about, but that, those, those are a big part in the offense. So better prepared. Yeah, we way better prepared than last year. So like I said, I'm happy and I'm excited for the season. Some of that familiarity with Kenny as well? Yeah, Kenny, Kenny uh, harps on us about, you know, details and that's what we focus on, details. We out there communicating with each other, receivers, whether we know the player or not, we talking. So just so we don't have those mental, mental errors or mental mistakes or whatnot. So because we have a paper and they jot down every little thing we do. So we're trying to stay off that, that paper. Really? Like school? Like yes. got, they got notes? Mental errors, false starts, penalties, little stuff like that. Not knowing your assignment, they they, they, t they tally it down. So you want to be trying to stay off that. So what happens if you're on the list? Do they call you out? Uh, well, the receivers we got. Nah, what what, what is it? Uh, we receive we kind of, I would say push-ups or whatever. So like how many drops, mental errors or whatever. So little stuff like that. We don't want to do that. So, <laughs> so we try our best not to get on that paper. <laughs> DJ, uh, what about Kenny's processing? What about getting the ball out on time to a primary guy? How's that? Is that different from last year? Yeah, a lot different. Me, my contact situation last year, I didn't get those reps with him. So, me this year, being out there with him, you just getting that time, uh, being out there every day with him, you get those reps. Uh, that builds repetition, uh, the chemistry with him, and uh, just him being comfortable with his guys out there and knowing who's going to be out there at all times. Uh, gives him the the ability to play free, and us to play free. So, and, allow, and allow us to do what we do. So, do you, do you like playing under the lights just if for one night, just because there are people there. A lot of them haven't seen you, and you receivers like to you know kick it up a notch, don't you, when the lights are off? Yeah, because you want to make those plays, yeah. uh, get the fans what they're uh, looking for. So, uh, that kind of gives you gets you amped up a little bit. So, it makes you play a little harder. So. That's what. That's my opinion. So, yeah. To break up the monotony of camp, having that night practice. Uh, yeah. Boy, but camp is is tough, but you gotta have a, a real strong mental, you know, to keep going. So, uh, just seeing a different scenery, uh, you know, coming practice starting a little later, gives you enough time to catch up on your body and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so you scored a lot of touchdowns in your career. Yeah. Not getting one last year. Did that take a while to process, or do you just kind of flush it as a fluke? Uh, it was it was an odd year, like very weird, you know, not being in the box. I had to. It was hard to like really cope with it every week. Like, dang, I'm wondering if I'm gonna get an end zone this week. I'm wondering if I'm get it, my touches. But now, like, it's like I can't do nothing about it. It happened, so I got 
and I had to move forward. So I just had to keep playing every week, trying to do my best I can just to not think about it. But this year I'm ready. So his pass is the pass. So I believe in Kenny going to give me the ball this year. Uh, the coach is going to call the plays that we need to call to make that happen. Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson catching up with the media uh, the other day before practice. The rookies have been making a big impact for the Steelers in training camp so far in 2023, but one is fine a little bit under the radar. We're going to discuss him and wrap things up next. You're listening to the Training Camp Report on Steelers Nation Radio. This is the Training Camp Report with Tom Offerman and Bob Labriola on Steelers Nation Radio. The 2023 draft class had everybody in Steelers Nation excited, and so far that excitement hasn't waned since seeing them at St. Vincent. They've all pretty much been impressive, and fourth-round pick Nick Herbig is no exception to that, Labs. I was listening to TJ Watt the other day talking uh, to the media, and Herbig came up, and you could tell how impressed Watt was with how you know quickly he seems to be picking things up in the NFL level. And it was also nice to hear Watt say that he's an open book. Anything that Nick needs can come up to his fellow Wisconsinite, and he will uh, impart any wisdom that he has on the position. So obviously I love seeing that veteran and rookie relationship start to bloom, but to hear someone of T.J. Watt's stature, a defensive player of the year, be impressed with you know, how fast and how quickly Nick Herbig has come along. That's encouraging for the season because you need more than just two edge rushers. You need more than just three edge rushers, Labs, if you're going to get the job done. Yeah, and, you know, uh, um, the Steelers have a veteran uh, behind um, T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith and Marcus Golden. Um, he's someone that they added. Uh, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have noticed Nick Herbig flash more than Marcus Golden uh, in practices so far. So, I mean, I don't know what the future holds at that position for these, those two guys, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but it does seem to me that the Steelers have some uh, significantly more, let me put it that way, significantly more depth, uh, quality depth there, depth they can count on at outside linebacker than they did even as recently as last season. So, you know, that's certainly a, a good thing. And, you know, Nick Herbig is one of those guys where I think it's still kind of be to be determined whether he uh, is utilized strictly as an outside linebacker slash edge rusher in the Steelers defense, or if maybe he's more of a you know, movable chess piece, a wild card kind of thing. I mean, you know, looking at how the defense um, is developing over the course of this camp, I, I, I'm really impressed with, you know, there seem to be a lot of guys who can, you know, play different spots and, you know, present different problems for the uh, opposing offenses. You know, Nick Herbig is one of those guys. And, um, you know, I, I'm in... I have been impressed by him, and as I said, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on him and, and watch his further development. And, you know, since we're on the subject of, of the rookie class, certainly we've talked a lot a bit about a lot about um, Broderick Jones and Joey Porter. Uh, Keanu Benton made a play in Thursday's uh, two-minute right. drill. Even though, you know, the offense capitalized on that specific possession with that pass down the middle to another rookie, Darnell Washington, who we've talked about once or twice. Uh, you know, Corey Trice, uh, the unfortunate uh, situation with his knee. He's now an injured reserve. You know, but he was showing some things that made you think that, you know, maybe this guy could uh, 
you know, be a developmental piece or, you know, contribute in some way or, you know, certainly uh, looked somewhat exciting for a seventh round pick. Uh, I'm here to tell you that the other seventh round pick, uh, Spencer Anderson, this uh, offensive lineman, he is opening a lot of eyes too. I mean, this guy is, you know, he's still running third team and all that stuff, but uh, he is versatile. He can play three different positions on the offensive line, center, guard, or tackle. He has played all of those during his college career. And, you know, there's there's a buzz uh, growing, you know, about this guy, his versatility. Um, he, has no, he has shown that really none of the things that they're asking him to do are too big for him. And, you know, I'm not predicting that this guy is a starter. No, or nothing like that. Even yeah. a, on, or even on the a lock to be on the 53-man roster. Maybe he's got to be a, you know, practice squad guy at first. But what I heard was the comparison that I heard about him was Kelvin Beecham. You know, Kelvin Beecham was one of those seventh-round pick guys who um, I believe he's still in the league. I mean, I, I was just going to say, I'm looking sure. it up right now. I think he's still playing. I think he's at a camp somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, not well, or – yeah, he's in a camp somewhere, but I think he's a little bit more than a camp body, too. So this is, you know, uh, Kelvin Beecham made a very nice career for himself. Uh, if Spencer Anderson can do the same thing, you know, good for him. Um, but uh, this is a guy who also seems to have um, a lot of good things going for him, a lot of potential. They're working with him. He's shown improvement, and he's very versatile, which um, for an offensive lineman, I can't I can't emphasize how valuable that is for a guy's uh, t chances to stick on a roster. Yeah, Kelvin Beecham started all 17 games last year for the Cardinals, and he is back again with Arizona this year. It'll be his fourth season with the team. Uh, not a bad career, how many huh? How, how many seasons? Just he, uh, This will be his 12th season in the NFL. He came in the league in 2012. Right. Who Who would have predicted that? Certainly not me. And Spencer Anderson would take that any day of the week to have a 12-year career after getting drafted in the seventh round. But one last thing I want to touch on, circling back to the edge rushers, you mentioned this briefly. You know, There's more depth at that position than you've seen in years past. And with the intensity that T.J. Watt plays at, and you just assume that you know there's going to be some bumps and bruises that Alex Highsmith suffers along the way as well, you need to call upon that depth and to have more quality at that position. And really, now that I'm talking out loud, they have qual more quality at almost every position when it comes to depth. But at outside linebacker, you know, no one wants to see TJ Water Highsmith miss any time. The team is much worse without those guys. But I feel like if Watt were to go down for a game or two, I'm breathing a little bit more comfortably with a Golden and a Herbig than I had been in recent years. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also, and again, I'm not, uh, I'm not insinuating that Marcus Golden is going to turn out to be, you know, a Melvin Ingram, you know, one of those disgruntled veteran guys that the Steelers brought in to be a backup. Um, because I'm not. That's that. There, there has been no indication of that. I want to emphasize that that's not where I'm going with this. Um, but they even have depth behind the guy they brought in for the depth, which is not a bad thing either. Because if something were to happen, and um, you know, Marcus Golden didn't work out for some reason. They have someone else they can go right. to, you know, and that, that just hasn't been the case the pe previous couple of years. I mean, you had one guy, a third guy, and you were hoping that, first of all, you didn't need him much. And if you did, 
you know, he would be the guy. Uh, because, you know, I think that what we're going to see, too, is uh, it, it, there are situations where um, both T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith uh, like to take, well, I won't say like to take breaks. The Steelers like to give them, uh, you know, five, seven plays off right. at different parts of a game. Um, so now you also have two guys that you can use uh, instead of just one who would have to play either side. And, um, you know, so again, it's, it's, there's just more options. Um, it, more options are just so much better. They, they just are. I mean, as, as you said, you're hoping for the best injury wise, but it's always, uh, you know, hope for the best plan for the worst, as they say. Well, Steelers are back on campus at St. Vincent for practice today at the usual time, 1.55 p.m. on Chuck Noel Field. Labs and I will be back again tomorrow at 8 a.m. to recap today's practice. But that'll do it for today's training camp report. We're going in the locker room next. Wolf and Starks are taking over on Steelers Nation Radio.